if you're associated with our youth ministry, grades uh, 7 through 12, then you have probably come to know uh, the two men who just led us in our time around the table. That would be Blair and Casey, and they are two of our four uh, youth ministry interns. This time of year, we're really grateful for all of our interns who serve in our children's ministry, our youth ministry, and also our college and young adult ministry. And uh, believe it or not, we're about to say goodbye to them because summer's about to wind down. But uh, I know you'll, you'll want to encourage those young men. They, they really uh, have blessed us this morning in our time together around the table. This morning, I want to talk to you about fear. And I want you to think about the contrast between the things you were afraid of when you were a child and the things that you might be afraid of now. And as different as those things are, there is also a, there's a lot of similarities. I found a little cartoon uh, uh, strip here that I wanted to show you as we get started. These are just completely silly. But, you know, when we're kids, we're afraid of going to the doctor. But as we get older, it's not going to the doctor, but it's the doctor bills that kind of scare us, right? It's all in jest. All the doctors. We're just kidding. Um, so you think about when you're, a, when you're a kid, I was scared to death of going to get my hair cut as a child. I used to think that, you know, he might cut my ear off or whatever, but now it's not getting a haircut. It's the fear of a bad haircut. You know, if you have a bad haircut, you've got to live with that for a while, right? Uh, or it, maybe this one, you know, fear of getting lost as a child, but the adult fear would be being lost, especially in that picture. He's like out in the middle of nowhere. I'm a male. I've never been lost, so I don't know what that's like. Maybe <laughs> some of you might, but... Um, Childhood fear is of monsters, but as the older we get, we're more afraid of children. You look at this guy coming, you're like, man, don't sit next to me, please, just go on. And then last but not least, the childhood fear of clowns, the adult fear, also clowns, right? That is one wicked-looking uh, clown. It is, it is an understatement to say that we live in fearful times, we live in anxious times. Uh, there was a security index that I, I came across recently. It's a study that's done, uh, an index, a poll that's done every couple of years, and with this survey, they try to stay consistent. So they try and survey the same number of people. It's about 13,000 people uh, across 13 different countries. And in the most recent uh, survey here, it's called the Unisys Security Index. What they do is they, they measure anxiety across a couple of different things. So they ask questions about your anxiety levels, about you know, national security. How anxious are you about issues like as it pertains to our national security. How worried are you about natural disasters and catastrophes and those kinds of things? Identity fraud, that's a big deal these days. Just your, your personal safety. And what they found is that the most recent survey, it was conducted this year, so 2017, that recent survey indicates that our anxiety levels in this country have risen dramatically since the last survey was conducted in 2014. In fact, that, that rise in anxiety for us as a culture is the highest percentage of an increase across any of the other 12 countries where this survey is conducted. So all that just says what we already know to be true, that there are, are plenty of things that get our attention, plenty of things get our fears going, right? If I were to ask you to list the things that you're afraid of, the, the worries that you have, the anxieties that you have, our lists might get pretty long and that might not take us long to build a pretty sub, uh, substantial list of fears and to be fair some of those things that we're afraid of we're we're justified in being worried about certain things right in this series I don't want to give the impression that all fear is bad in fact a, a healthy dose of fear sometimes is exactly what you need sometimes that can that can be the thing that saves your life so if you wake up in the middle of the night and you smell smoke there's some fear, right, that, that will hopefully bring about an adaptive sort of behavior, meaning that fear will get you out of bed and get you out of the house and will save your life. That's not 
That's not the kind of fear that we're talking about today. Now today what I want to do in this entry in our, our Clean Living series, I want to talk about the kind of fear, the kind of fear that is toxic. The kind of fear that controls you, that paralyzes you, and in particular the kind of fear that sets itself up against faith in God. See, here's how we'll think about fear today. Fear is placing your faith in what if rather than God is. Fear is just misplaced faith. It's when we put so much emphasis, so much of our faith and trust on the what ifs rather than the God is statements that we find in the scriptures. You know how this works. We're worried about something. So our mind begins to kind of run away with us. We begin to think, okay, what if I lose my job, right? Or what if the economy tanks? Or what if the doctor calls and he has a bad word for me? Or what if something happens to my family? What if my children were in danger? You know, we can play the what if game just over and over. There's so many things that can get our attention whenever we, we start going down that trail of what ifs. And given our heightened anxiety level these days, it's, it, it's no wonder that our minds don't drift there, that we can come up with all sorts of scenarios that fit that what-if category to get our fear really riled up. But in the Bible, in the scriptures, over and over, what we find is we find God countering those fears by reminding us about who he is. See, I, I think God in his wisdom, he knew that we would struggle with the what-ifs. You believe that? I think God knew that there would be times in our lives when we would, be, we would be tempted to give in to the fears, that the what-ifs would just become so overwhelming that it would be maybe all we could possibly see. So in the scriptures, what God does is to counter all that, he reminds us over and over about who he is. He tells us repeatedly about his identity. He wants us to know something about who he is and that that knowledge would then confront our fears. So, for instance, just a couple of, of places where we could, we could point to. The scriptures, in the scriptures, God says that he is a mighty warrior, that he is mighty to save. Does that have any bearing on my fear, to know that my God is a mighty warrior? He says that he's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. It's a way of him saying that history begins with God and it ends with God, and at all points in between, God says, I am sovereign. So, again, what do I have to fear? What am I worried about that God hasn't already navigated through, that God hasn't already delivered someone else through? Second uh, Corinthians 1, one of my favorites, where God says this, he reminds us that he is the father of mercy and he is the God of all comfort. So even if I'm going through a difficult season, even if my fears are realized, God says, all comfort that can be supplied, I'm quick to deliver that to you. He says in Romans 8, and one of the, it's just a, such a short little thought, but it is so powerful, where he simply says, God, who is God? God is for us. And you remember the, remember the follow-up? And if God is for us, who can be against us? And then distilling it down even to a, to a short, just to one word, the Apostle John says, if you want to know who God is, God is love. Again, th those are just a couple that come to mind immediately as we think about what the scriptures have to say about who God is. And in fact, I would say that from cover to cover, the Bible is written 
so that we would place our faith and our trust in the God who is the great I am rather than putting all of our emphasis, all of our faith in the what ifs. Because the more we allow fear into our lives, I want, you to, I want you to hear this, the more we allow fear into our lives, the harder it will be for us to grow spiritually. The more fear we allow into our hearts and into our minds, into our souls, the harder it will be for us to grow spiritually. Fear is like a toxin that just wages war against faith. It is, it's, it's like a, a dark cloud of pollution just hanging over you. And the more you breathe in those toxic fumes of fear, the harder it will be for God to do his work in your heart. That's just the way fear works. And it's not the way God designed us. God did not design us to go through life fearfully. You know, they say that we are born with two fears. They say that we only have two fears at the time of birth, that the, 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 hard, the, the, the software is already downloaded there for us to be afraid of two things at birth. One, infants are afraid of falling. It's just kind of universal. That God, God made us with this fear of falling, so that's one. But then the other fear they say infants have, it's the fear of loud noises. So if you have a baby in your lap, if there's a child in your life, you know this, they're afraid of loud noises and they're afraid of falling down. But every other fear that we have is a learned fear, if that's true. If what the, the doctors and psychologists and sociologists say, if all that is true, that means every other fear in our lives is a learned fear. Now again, some of that you might say, well, that's justified, right? But if you go and just Google and look for a list of phobias, you know, how many phobias are there? How many things have we now had to come up with language to describe this fear or that fear? It's just, it's hundreds, if not thousands and what I'm telling you is that every one of those, save two, those are acquired fears. Those are things we have learned to be afraid of. From A to Z, every phobia you can think of, it's something we've learned to be afraid of because fear is a lesson we take to heart. We learn that lesson really, really well. Generally speaking, you can put all of our adult fears into one of four basic categories. The first is this, it's fear of loss. That's just basic. We, we learn to fear loss early on. So if you have a, a toddler in your life, well, their favorite word is what? Mine, right? Why does a toddler learn that word so early? Because, because of the fear of loss. They latch on to something, and they don't want to give it up. They don't want you to have it. They don't want him to have it. They don't want her to have it. It's mine. And that is rooted in this fear of loss. And the older we get, the more afraid we become of loss. It's just we're better at kind of covering it up, right? So as you progress, as you think about the things that you're afraid of, the fears that I have, a lot of them reside here. So again, it's talk, we're talking about loss of, of financial security. Maybe it's the loss of a job. Maybe it's the loss of status, the loss of some sort of relationship. Ultimately, in the end, what we, what we dread, what we fear is the loss of our loved ones, the loss of our family members, right, our friends. Death is the ultimate expression of this fear of loss. And we deal with that regularly. Uh, secondly, uh, the fear of loss, you also have the fear of failure. Uh, fear of failure, it's another one of those common fears. It's the fear that, that keeps us planted on the sidelines, right, rather than getting us out there in the game. It's that little voice that says in our minds from time to time, you know, what if everybody sees you fail? What if you try and you're just not good enough? What if you're not cut out for this? You see, sometimes we have these dreams. We have things that we'd like to pursue. We have these goals that we'd like to achieve. But it, it's that fear of failure that paralyzes us. 
You know, it's, it's, it's that, that concrete around our feet that keeps us from, from stepping out and getting out there in the game. And that fear of failure, no matter how successful we are, some of us, we continue to deal with that. Dustin Hoffman is, by all accounts, an acclaimed actor. He's had a career in Hollywood that spanned, what, 40 or 50 years now? Uh, he has, has been nominated for numerous Academy Awards. I think he's won several. He has been a successful person in his field. And yet, in an interview two years ago, a 2015 interview, Hoffman said his greatest fear continues to be the fear of failure. He says, I worry that if my next picture is a flop, the next movie I make, if it's a bomb, I'll never work in Hollywood again. This is a guy with two Academy Awards. And he still says that fear of failure is what drives him and motivates him. Okay, maybe that's good, right? But at the same time, that same feel, fear of, of, of failure haunts him. It plagues him. Won't even allow him to enjoy his own success. So fear of loss, fear of failure. Number three is the fear of rejection, which is similar to that fear of failure, although fear of rejection is a little more relational in context, isn't it? Biologically, they say we are wired with a longing to belong. Everybody wants to be a part of a group. Everybody wants to know that they fit in and know that they belong. So that can make us really, really anxious in the places where we feel cut off, in the places where we feel isolated, where we feel abandoned. We feel as if we don't have, that's, we perceive that as rejection. So that fear of rejection, how does it play out? Well, it'll keep you kind of, again, standing on the sidelines. Maybe it'll keep you from asking that girl out. You know, maybe it'll keep you from putting yourself out there trying to make new friends or to get to know people. Or it could work the opposite way. That fear of rejection, sometimes what it does, it manifests itself this way. It makes you, it turns you into a chronic people pleaser. Because you're so worried that someone will reject you, that you will do anything, right, to keep from experiencing that. So you adopt a new persona, you do things you never thought you would do, you end up, you know, going places you never thought you would go. Also, you can please that one person or that group of people who's so important to you because you don't want to experience rejection. Does that sound like somebody you know? Does that sound like you? Your fear of loss fear of failure, fear of rejection, and then lastly, if those weren't bad enough, just the fear of the unknown that in general can be fearful. We could call this, in some ways, you could just refer to this as the fear of the, fear of the future, right? Because we don't know what's around the corner. We don't know what tragedies are ahead, and that can be really stress-inducing. That can be scary, and that fear of the unknown can cause a whole host of worries to well up inside of us, and again, those worries manifest themselves this way with the what if statements. So each of those categories can be incredibly toxic, incredibly harmful on their own. My question for you is which of those is the strongest in your life? If you had to identify one of those fears that is keeping you from growing spiritually, which one, which one would it be? Be honest with yourself, nobody's going to ask, there's no show of hands, you know, but, but which of those fears is the strongest in your life. And if one of those fears has reached a level of toxicity, if it's reached a place where it's just kind of out of control, all right, I want to remind you today of what God has to say. One thing in the, in the scriptures that God says about fear, all right, it's in 2 Timothy 1, God says that he has not given us a spirit of fear, but instead a spirit of power and of love 
and a sound mind. Think about the first part of that, okay? God is very, very clear. He says, if we are filled with fear, God says, that doesn't come from me. If you and I are filled with fear, fear has reached this toxic level in our lives. If there's something that we are so afraid of that we can't see past, we, you know, it's just, it's, it's all consuming in my heart and in my mind. God says, look, that doesn't come from me because I'm not giving you a spirit of fear. As best I can tell, the only fear that God is interested in is the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. But otherwise, he's saying, I, I'm not in this to give you fear. Instead, I, I want to give you these gifts. I want to give you power and love and a sound mind. But if we're struggling with, with fear, God wants us to know that doesn't come from him. So this morning, if you're, if you're chronically anxious, if you're just you know, fearful and, and overwhelmed, terrified, that fear is, just, is, is paralyzing, you need to know what God says there. That fear does not come from him. That fear comes from the enemy. The enemy is the one who's put it there. The enemy is the one who is exploiting that for his wicked and evil purposes. What God says is that he doesn't give fear, but he gives those three things. Again, power and love and a sound mind. So he's given me power, the power to overcome my fear of loss, power to overcome my fear of the unknown. That's where God's power is leveraged in this whole fear conversation. He says he's given us a spirit of love. So he's given me love to overcome that fear of rejection, that fear of failure, and he's working to give me a sound mind. He's given me the scriptures to be able to form in me a sound mind that can make godly choices, that can make godly decisions. So again, all summer long, as we've talked about creating me a clean heart, really, at the end of the day, what that comes down to is our choice and us just making better choices because that's what God wants for us. So today, the choice is between the what if or the God is. Which of those two Will it be in my life? Will I continue to live over here in the, in the fear of the questions that I keep asking, all the what-ifs? Or will I plant my feet firmly in the truth of who God says that he is? That's the key to overcoming our fear. So, again, which of those fears is most prevalent in your life and my life? I want to close by looking at an example from the, the life of David. We talked about David a lot this summer, and his, his story is instructive for us. We're going to spend the rest of our time here in Psalm 56. And we're going to read the first four verses of Psalm 56. You'll see the words there on the screen, and of course, I'd invite you to turn there in your Bibles as well. Psalm 56, this is what the word says. Be merciful to me, O God, for men hotly pursue me. All day long they press their attack. My slanderers pursue me all day long. Many are attacking me in their pride. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. There's Paul's right there. If you struggle with fear, if fear has reached a chronic place in your life, in your heart, I believe that you're here today to hear this word from God. This verse, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. You can walk out of here today with that verse in your pocket. You can walk out of here today with that verse written on your heart because that is the word of God. This is what God is saying for us. This is how he wants us to live. This is the empowerment. This is the, 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 the truth of the gospel. He wants us to walk without fear, but to continue to trust in God. David says, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. Who's, in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mortal men do to me? <laughs> well, what can mortal men do to me? For starters, they could take your life, David. <laughs> Let's just start there, right? But David says, it doesn't matter. 
because I'm going to continue to trust in the great and awesome name of God. So the Bible talks about King Saul. King Saul is the first king in Israel, and God rejected him because of his sinfulness, because of his wickedness. He appointed David to be the next king over Israel. And in 1 Samuel 18, verse 29, it says that Saul was afraid of David. Saul was afraid of David because David was the Lord's anointed, and Saul had been rejected. And it says that Saul was so afraid of David that he began to resent him. And that resentment ran so deep that Saul tried to take David's life. And so when David was on the run, he writes this psalm, okay? But I want you to think about it. When, when, just think about Saul for a second. He is, is so consumed with his resentment and his anger and his bitterness that he, is, he can't see past the what if. In his mind, it's all about what if the throne is taken away from me. God is doing that. God is at work bringing that about, but Saul can't see past that, so he sets himself up in opposition to David, which is bad enough. But in setting himself in opposition, uh, in, in opposition to David, here's what he also does. He sets himself up in opposition to God because God has his hand on David. And to oppose David is to oppose God. But Saul can't even see that because he's not even thinking about the God is part. He's thinking all about the what if. Because that's what happens when you focus on fear. When you're consumed with fear, you focus on the what if, not the God is. And when you focus on fear to that degree, listen, you are never the best version of yourself. When fear gets its hooks in you and it runs bone deep, you don't make good decisions. And you're not the best version of yourself. You're paranoid or you lash out or you do any of a number of things that you know you shouldn't. And if you took that fear away, if you placed that fear instead at the, at the foot of the cross, if you gave it over to the Lord and you stopped focusing on it and, and, and letting that fear just marinate in your heart, you'd be a better version of yourself. And that's what I, we wish we could go back in time and tell Saul, Right? Because he's not the best version of himself when he's the fearful version of himself. So he sets himself up in opposition to King David. But as we noted a few weeks ago, Saul has a son. His name is Jonathan, and he and David are best friends. And Jonathan warns David about what's happening. So David, he runs. He goes on the run. And so he begins to write this psalm while he's on the run. He writes this psalm while he's like public enemy number one. Now, now we know how David's story ends, right? We know that he becomes king over Israel, and he has this long and prosperous reign, but David doesn't know how David's story ends. Right now, all David knows is that the king of Israel wants him dead. Put it in context, okay? Just take it out of Bible story land and make it real for you. Imagine that the president of the United States gives your name over to the CIA and the FBI and the U.S. military and says, I want him or her, I want their head on a platter, right? Because they're public enemy number one. Imagine how fearful you would be. Imagine where, like, where could you go to find security and rest? How, how much sleep would you get, right? That's David's experience here. He is public enemy number one. He had plenty of reasons to be fearful. But here is where David's story, again, is so instructive for us. He begins by honestly naming his fears. And if you're going to overcome your fears, it starts right there with you and I naming those fears. Because as soon as we begin to name those fears, that's when, when we begin to exercise a little bit of power over them. If you look back at that psalm, he says to God, I am being pursued by my enemies. In case you don't see this, Lord, Saul's men are breathing right down my neck, and I am afraid. I'm scared. All this is on the line, Lord, can, can you help me out? He's honest about his fears. He's not burying them beneath some false you know, bravado, some facade of being all strong. No, David takes those fears, and he honestly expresses them to the Lord. And that's instructive because the first step in overcoming those fears is to name those fears. 
You know, when we were kids, what did we do when we were afraid? You called out to mom and dad. If you didn't have mom and dad in your life, you called out to a grandparent, an older sibling, somebody you trusted, right? And, and, and you'd say, hey, there's, there's a monster under my bed. <laughs> or I'm seeing something in the closet. I heard something. You know, can you turn the light on and check? We, we name that fear and we appeal to a higher court, right? And my question is, why do, why do we stop doing that? Why do we think that that's only something that we do when we're kids? Because as adults, we're still afraid of some of the same things. It's just the monsters look different. But why do we stop naming our fears and being honest and bringing those before our Father in heaven? That's really the key to overcoming fear. If it works there, it's going to work in our lives as well. David overcomes this fear he begins by naming those fears but that's not all he does the second part of that is key he doesn't just name his fear but he also frames his fear and what I mean by that is he's not just like calling out his fear and naming it in some sort of like self-help get yourself better kind of way no he names that fear but he frames it in light of God's eternal power he frames that fear in light of who God is and his relationship with God specifically he says when I am afraid I will trust you he doubles down on his faith when he's at that crossroads of fear. I think it's at this moment where David begins to look at the, the long track record that God has of faithfulness, of, of providing for him. I think David looks back and he remembers all those nights when he was tending his father's flocks and how God saw him through and helped him fight every enemy. I think David looks back and knows that God alone is the one who supplied him with everything he needed to take down Goliath. And right here in the same way at this crossroads of faith, David says, okay, you've been faithful to me so far. I'm afraid again, but I'm going to continue to trust in you. I come back and I think, okay, where is my trust? Do I continue to put all my trust and all my faith in my fears, thinking that if they are realized, then what might happen? Oh, no. Or is my faith and trust completely and totally in the God who is? See, what happens when we do that is when we put all of our faith and trust in God, we move from what if to even if. Isn't there a huge difference there? When I focus on the God who is, I go from what if to even if. So if then I'm over here, well, what if I lose my job? Or what if the economy tanks? Or what if something happens to my kids? Or what if I get cancer? Or what if, what? And when I'm reminded of the God who is, when I name those fears and I frame those in light of the eternal God, what if becomes even if. Okay, even if I lose my job, God is faithful. Even if the economy tanks, God is the God of history, right? Even if something happens to my kids, even if I get that cancer diagnosis, even if this happens, I will continue to trust in you, O oh God. Can we say that? Can we move from what if to even if? The key there is a recognition of the God who is. One of my favorite authors says, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. We have a God who's made himself known through the power of his word. But he's made himself known, more importantly than that, through the living word. The word become flesh. And it is in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus that these young men have been reminding us about this morning. That is how we know who God is. And when we know who God is, we do not have to be afraid about an unknown future. Do you know what's in store in your future? None of us do. But if we believe in the word of God, we know that there is a great day coming 
and that we need not fear that day, but instead we can anticipate it with faith because we have put all of our trust in the God who is. And if you've not done that today, I hope you will. I hope you'll take advantage of this moment to confess his good name, to confess the lordship of Jesus, and begin that life of following after him. Don't let fear keep you from receiving all that God has in store for you. Let's stand and sing our song of invitation.